Hey, it's Melissa Moore. Welcome to Mile High Magazine. One of my favorite people to have on is Kevin Peterson, licensed marriage and family therapist and also founder of the Chronic Hope Institute and talking to you this morning from Florida. Good morning, Kevin. (laughs) I'm sure you had to say that. Yeah, I had to put that in there that that you've been going through all the winds and the rain here this week. Yeah, we're in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, where we uh, we're on the fringe. We just literally literally just got a, uh, a notification that we're now under a hurricane warning um and which it sounds worse than it is we're we're not i don't want anyone to think that we're in danger because we're not right right and i know if ever you know you've been following the news and and you are you're on the outer bands and all that other hurricane talk but still you're yeah here in colorado sunny and dry today (laughs) (laughs) i'll call you in february (laughs) all right a little rain coming in a little bit later but yeah exactly Uh, exactly mm -hmm. well kevin let's talk about your story starting the chronic hope institute because it really starts with your own personal journey yeah so my journey in recovery started in actually started in august of 1990 i was at a family reunion in san luis uh, bispo california um, and my dad said, hey, let's drive home together. And that was about a four-hour drive. And the first five minutes went like this. Kevin, you're my only son, and I love you, but I don't believe a word out of your mouth. Mm. And you're a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and a drug addict, and an alcoholic. And until you get help, we've taken a vote, and you're out. You're, we don't want you in the family. Wow. Yeah. And I was 26. So, I mean, I had my own place to live. I had a job. I had a car. You know, I wasn't dependent upon them. So this was them saying, we love you, but we're no longer going to participate in this circus. Wow. And that was the first five minutes. So then you had three hours and 55 minutes to sit there. (laughs) Well, I did. You know, I did what alcoholics and addicts do. I started to try to bargain and weasel my way back in. And and the answer was just a firm no. Wow. Um, And they they tried this before, you know. And I was like, oh, God, we're going to do this again. And um, they stuck to their guns this time. And so I did what all true tough guy alcoholics do. I called mom and started crying. Mm -hmm. And and mom, they were waiting for that. That was part of the plan, too. Um, And mom said, you know, if you would start seeing a therapist with your dad, I think we could start loosening up a little bit. And I was like, therapist, I've been seeing those guys for years. No problem. (laughs) You know, and uh, the therapist, it turns out, was the one that was coaching my family. Interesting. And, yeah. And so my dad and I, in January of 1991, started seeing this amazing therapist together in Palo Alto, California. And, um, you know, he, he just got me to start confessing everything and got my dad to sort of confess everything, too. I mean, not that he was an addict or an alcoholic, but it was very, you know, everybody was telling the truth. And then my parents went out of town at the end of April. And um, the therapist said, why don't you come in anyway? I was like, OK. So I came in and he basically said, you know, I think you're a drug addict and an alcoholic and I think you need help. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. The jig is up. I'm done. Hmm. And uh, and so I said, what do I do? He's like, well, you quit drinking today, today. And I was like, OK. I mean, it seems a bit drastic, but OK. And I did. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I didn't. That's not true. <laughs> I, had, I had like a concert and a wedding that I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't do that. <laughs> and um, so my sobriety date is actually May 5th, 1991, uh, Cinco de Mayo. Who gets sober in California on Cinco de Mayo? I do. <laughs> I was um, going to say, you picked quite uh, the day. Yeah. And I didn't come in with a bang. Let me tell you, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't on CNN. No, it wasn't like, you know, the U.S. Marshals weren't looking for me. I came in with a whimper, you know, mm. and 
I was done. I was, the jig was up and I was cooked and I needed help. And one of the things that this amazing man said was, he said two things. One, I want you to talk to my friend that runs the local treatment program. And two, you need to start going to 12 step meetings immediately. And um, <laughs> the funny part was I didn't do either, you know, of course <laughs> so, not. Uh, no. I mean, so, I mean, the next time I met with him uh, was like a week later with my dad and he was like, Hey, um, did you talk to my friend? And I was like, Oh my God, that guy's so hard to get a hold of. I have left him a message every single day. He never calls back. This guy stands up from the couch, walks over to his desk, picks up his phone, dials the phone number. He's like, yo, you know, Robert? Yeah, it's Julian. You remember that kid I told you about? Yeah, here's he's right here. Hold on. <laughs> oh, man. Busted. Yeah, totally busted. <laughs> and uh, so I talked to that guy. We ended up meeting and we formulated a plan. I was I was going back to college. I had flunked out of college. Um, I was at USC and I had uh, flunked out of college and actually faked my graduation. I told everybody I graduated and had them <laughs> come down for a fake graduation. Oh, my God. Wow. I rented the cap and gown. I ordered announcements. Oh I had God. people fly in from all over the country. I got gifts and presents and oh, money. Geez. And it was all a sham, 100% wow. sham. And so um, that was in 1988. So I went back to USC. I got sober. I did get sober. I, st- I stopped drinking mm-hmm. and, I, and I got sober and um, went back to USC. And a friend of mine was the president's secretary. And as you know, in any major corporation, the president does not run the show, but his secretary, right. you know, is the voice of God. And I was one of her babies and she took me under her wing. And she said, I have called in favors for you with every single department. And but first things first, I want you to run over to the athletic department and I want you to meet my friend Ron. He's waiting for you. This is Monday morning at eight o'clock. And I was like, okay. And I ran right over there and I walked into this guy's office and he stood up and he said, my name's Ron. I'm an alcoholic. I'd like to take you to a meeting. Mm. And, and that was my journey. And that's when my journey to recovery started. Uh, wow. I ended up getting a job on campus. And if you get a job on campus, school's free. And so uh, I ended up graduating for real in 1994 from USC. And then in 1995, I moved to Denver. and sober throughout the whole thing, 12-step mm-hmm. member, the whole process. Right. Um, continue, you know, continue. I mean, I, people always ask me, what's the secret? What's the what's the formula? What's the secret sauce? And it's real simple and real straightforward. Go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps. Mm-hmm. Rinse, repeat. Yep. You know, yep. And, yep. and it works. And so that's that's the quick version of my journey into recovery. And it's it's the version that, I, that still works for me to this day, 31 years later. So that's what I was going to ask you. Okay, so we're talking about alcohol. Now, did you also have a drug problem at that time? You know, <laughs> I would have told you I didn't have a problem. Okay. <laughs> you know, I just smoke pot every day. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. You know, and I, I definitely dabbled with some cocaine. I mean, it was the 80s in Los Angeles. I mean, come on. And um, <laughs> and I'm not, not making light of it. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, but I smoked pot every day and I drank every day. And so I then kind of had to come to grips with the fact that, I, yes, I was a drug addict as well. Mm-hmm. Was that yeah. all in the same time frame? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got I, I got clean and sober from everything. OK, so when you when your yeah. family kind of said, hey, this is the deal, you go to counseling. So when you got sober, you were also clean at that time. 100 percent. Yeah. 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 And that my, when my family said, hey, you know, um, you got to go to counseling today, there would have been an intervention and they would have insisted that I go to treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a more formalized process today. 
back then, that was kind of what the, the sort of the current concept was, is, well, let's get him into treatment. Let's call him out gently with lovingly. Right. And, and, and I fully believe in that process. And, 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 and it works perfectly. Yeah, I was going to say, how does somebody know or a family know if their family member needs treatment or like you did, the counseling and the 12 steps? You know, that's a great question. And, and that's actually kind of the basis of the work that I do today. And, and the book that I wrote, Chronic Hope, Families and Addiction, I, ide- I identify what I call plan A. And plan A is kind of what my parents did with me and to a certain degree. They, they circled, the, you know, I want the family to circle the wagons and say, we love you, but we're not going to put up with this anymore. And, and there's three areas, there's three categories that we look at, drugs and alcohol, um, work or school, whatever the combination is, and then behavior within the structure of the family. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, let's set a boundary. So the boundary is no drugs, no alcohol. The accountability, because boundaries only work if there's accountability. Right. You know, it doesn't mean anything if you just say, no more drugs and alcohol. And they're like, <laughs> okay, sure, you know. Right. Um, so um, <clears throat> that what I tell my clients is now we got to start doing breathalyzing and drug testing. And I like using a third party. I don't like the family being in charge of that because it puts them in, in a weird space. Sure. You know, they're, now, now they're managing them like, no, 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 that's not your job. Let's find somebody else to do that. Yep. And for me, that was the therapist, you know. And then the, the structure is that if you pass the drug test and pass the alcohol test, then great, you're in the family, everything's cool. If you don't, then we're going to get, now here's the thing, there's not, we're not going to penalize you, we're going to get you help, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how the family can know whether or not this person has a problem. Because when you come to them and say, hey, we're really concerned, we want you to take 30 days off, you're going to get one of two responses, you know. One response is, okay, sure, I'm not sure I agree with you, but I'm willing to try. Or, no, mm-hmm. you're, you're crazy, this is nuts, and then we have to kind of take it a little more intensely, a little more seriously, and we might have to do what I call plan B. And plan B is where we start looking at intervention and treatment. Okay. And and that's a very straightforward process, but I, at the very least, if someone's smoking marijuana or using marijuana and drinking, I'm willing to give them 30 days to get it together because... It may take some time. We can offer them some therapy. We can offer them a recovery coach. We can offer them support. But if someone's playing with the harder drugs, and I mean, you're, you're, you're a news person. I mean, nowadays people are dying from one, trying pills one time. I was going to say, I, you hear it every single day. Yeah. And that's just scares the, the, you know, the heck out of me. And right. I just, you know, so when, so, so if that's what's going on um, for me, then it's no, 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 we're not going to do the 30 days. We're going to go straight to plan B and, and, I'm going to help you find a a treatment program that addresses the needs of your person, the financial needs of your person, you know, the specific mental health issues of your person. Um, And then we're going to get some professional help of someone who's going to step in and make it clear um, your family loves you and I'm here to take you to treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really kind of it comes down to being that clear cut. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be black and white. Yeah. one of, the, one of the things that I tell people is that I grew up in a house of addiction. My mom was a prescription drug addict, you know, mm-hmm. and she suffered from a lot of mental health issues as well. God bless her, you know. And um, so I grew up in that house. And then at 13, I started using and I took to it like a fish to water. You know, oh. I was like, oh, this is great. You yeah. know, I love this. And and then I got sober at 27. And then I became a mental health professional when I was 44. So I can see it from all angles. Right. You know, I get it. And and so the best thing we can do is bring in a professional to help them. Because I, I get these families that come to me all the time. Well, well, we we had a sit down and we told him he had to go to treatment. And he told us to stop. And then that we, you know, that was it. I'm like, yeah. So that's not how I would do it. Well, and yeah. as a family member, when you see your another family member struggling, there's so much emotion tied into it. Mm. 
It is so hard. Yeah, I mean, know? it's 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 so hard to be that black and white. It's so hard to be factual and not emotional. It is. And that's why you want to have somebody in the room that's going to be like, look, you know, they're going to meet with you ahead of time. They're going to walk you through the process. They're like, this is how we're going to do it. We're all going to, everyone's going to get a chance to say their piece. Um, and this is how we're going to roll. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm going to be the one kind of calling the shots here and handling the situation because, you know, the families are, they're too deeply vested. They're too de- emotional in the situation. And I understand why. They're, yeah. It's their loved one. You right. Know, they're afraid they're going to die. Right. You know? Right. They're scared. They're angry. They have all these emotions swirling. Yeah. And I mean, everyone plays a different role. And there's always the person that thinks they're going to be the savior. They're going to be the one that's going to fix them. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they're going to listen to me. Um, and yet there's always that person that thinks they're the lifeline. Yeah. And, and that person is almost the most dangerous one because the addict or the alcoholic is going to latch onto that and be like, you know, you're my only friend. You're yep. the one that's going to allow me to keep doing what I'm doing. It's like, no, we got to cut that off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The family dynamics. And I know that you deal with all of that at the Chronic Hope Institute and helping families and helping the addict out. Absolutely. I mean, we do both sides of the coin. You know, my specialty is working with the family and really helping them set clear boundaries, holding those boundaries. And I want to be clear, I don't believe in tough love. That old school methodology of slamming the door on their face and kicking them out on the coldest day of the year and t-shirt and shorts and, you know, you're on your own. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is setting a boundary and saying, we love you. We love you so much that we're no, we're going to take a stand for you and we're going to offer you a solution. If you choose not to take the solution, that's your choice because mm-hmm. you're an adult. But that means we're going to keep you at a distance. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, Kevin Peterson, like I could just talk to you for hours, licensed <laughs> family and marriage therapist uh, for folks who want more information. What do they need to do? So our website is uh, chronichope.us. Um, we have a YouTube channel under the Chronic Hope Institute. We have a Facebook page under the same name. We have an Instagram page. We have a LinkedIn page. Um, we're on Twitter. You're everywhere. <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's, I got to tell you, it's so important for me to get the message to these folks yeah. because every family I work with says the same thing. Oh my God, we've been dealing with this for 10 years. Yep. Where have you been? Yep, and yep. I'm like, I've been right here. And I... I'm my the one thing my my great my gratefulness to you in this moment right now is having the opportunity to share this message and I want to be clear if somebody is just wants to go to my website and watch the videos and check out it, it's all free right you know yeah. they don't have to pay me a dime yeah you know? and I love that and I love helping you get this message out because it is so important to give families hope to let them know there is hope out there you may feel like you're drowning and maybe you're the addict feeling like you're drowning but don't give up there is hope absolutely. And, you know, and our goal is to help you get help and, you know, help the family get help and, and get the family system healthy. And, and you know, and there's all, there's certainly different methodology. My way doesn't the only way. You right. know, I want to be clear. I mean, my way is not the only way. My, I have two conditions. One, you have to be completely abstinent from drugs and alcohol. And two, you have to change the way you behave. Kevin Peterson, licensed marriage and family therapist and founder of the Chronic Hope Institute. Always enjoy our conversations. Until next time, I'm I'm Melissa Moore. Have a great Sunday. Go out. Be kind to everyone.